very good morning to you. Well done, Andrew, with all those names. Not an enviable task doing that. And uh, just briefly before we start, I want to say, also say a massive big well done to our tech team here. Um, those here, here in the room uh, and those at home, they have served us as a church so well over the last couple of years and we really do thank God for you. Uh, and particularly today, we've had a couple of people go down with COVID, one even this morning. And so to kind of put everything together, um, done a phenomenal job. So well done. And we do, uh, we appreciate it. And more importantly, God sees it. Let's pray as we start. Father, thank you so much for your living words. Uh, they were written many hundreds of years ago, many, many hundreds of years ago. Uh, yet we thank you that it is still speaking today. And Father, as we look at it now, please do indeed speak to us that we would hear you clearly and that you'd help us to respond rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a Tottenham fan. I know there are a few of us around. Uh, a long while back now, actually, I went to a Tottenham-Arsenal game, uh, the biggest rivals. But I went to a Tottenham-Arsenal game in our, at the Arsenal Stadium. And not just at the Arsenal Stadium, I was sat amongst the Arsenal fans. A school friend had uh, seen tickets, took me along, uh, very appreciative. I found that actually quite intimidating. To be there amongst all these Arsenal fans, even though they didn't know who I, that I was a Tottenham fan, uh, I found it quite intimidating, actually. To, that everyone else is kind of against me, as it were, at least for those 90 minutes. They really don't like me, just because I'm a Tottenham fan. I felt like you kind of pressure to, to go along with them. So it was okay. When Tottenham scored first, I was able just to sit on my hands and do nothing. When Arsenal equalised, I was like, yeah, I can stand up and clap politely. When Arsenal took the lead, well, that's how I just wanted to bury my head in my hands. And thankfully, my friend pulled me up to my feet and got me clapping politely again. Now, in that situation, I think it's pretty wise to fit in, actually. Pretty wise to go along with the crowds. But it can feel like that, being a Christian. Perhaps being the only Christian in your office. You feel vastly outnumbered. We have that felt pressure, even if it's just felt and not kind of given or said explicitly from people, but from your friends, just to go along exactly like they do and do everything that they do. Or even perhaps you might get excluded from some of the kind of groups on the school gates because of your faith. Well, how is it that as Christians, vastly outnumbered, we're increasingly, people are hostile even, how can we stay faithful to God? Well, the book of Daniel is a book of two halves, if you don't know. Uh, chapters 1 to 6 are some of the most famous Bible stories uh, that there are. Chapters 7 to 12 are some of the least known Bible teaching that there is. Now, we are going to look at the whole book. Uh, almost certainly we're going to have a pause in the middle. So I'm warning you, I'm not bottling out. We're just going to have a bit of a break and then we'll come back to the latter cha chapters probably later this summer. But the first six chapters that we'll deal with first, they, they are a firm favourite of Sunday school lessons and teachers. But they are far more than just nice stories to entertain, even to kind of teach morals to our children. These first six chapters, indeed the whole book of Daniel, contain nourishing food for strengthening Christians to live faithfully to God. That's why I've called this, this series Faithful in Babylon. 
uh, indeed the talk that we've got here, uh, being faithful to God far from home. You see, this book is about a group of people who were faithful to God while in Babylon, while in exile from the promised land. And it's going to teach us, too, to be faithful to God. Daniel and his three friends that we find mentioned here, uh, they, they were in Babylon. They'd been uh, Israel, those that weren't killed by the Babylonians, were carried off and, and kind of carried and brought to Babylon there. And that's what verses 1 and 2 of our chapter today uh, communicate. That they talk about King Nebuchadnezzar when he came, and it was almost like a 20-year process of just battering these people to the grounds. But it led to some of the people being brought to Babylon. Now, if you were to ask a historian, kind of, why did this happen? Well, they would say, well, the Babylonians were a mighty empire, and they simply defeated a weaker empire. But we're told something else. You see a little phrase in verse 2 which is crucial for our understanding today. Verse 2 starts, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God and brought them to Shinar, the house of his God, and so on. And the Lord gave Why did Israel get beaten up? Why did the people get carried off to exile? Ultimately, it was because the Lord gave. The Lord brought this about because of his people's, as Andrew helpfully explained, because of his people and people's repeated rejection and rebellion against him. So God's people were there in exile, in Babylon. And the events of Daniel were recorded to... Uh, to sustain God's people who were there, to, to encourage them to stay faithful. And the first readers of the completed book as a whole, they had returned from exile. They were back in Israel. But although their geography had changed, actually their situation hadn't really changed that much. They had no king, or at least kind of no real one. They had no king. They had no kingdom that they could truly call their own. And they were living under enemy control. They knew, people, what it was like to be marginalised, to have their freedoms limited, to face pressure for being one of God's people. And so Daniel, the whole book was there to encourage them in that. And when you put it like that, doesn't that sound somewhat like our situation today as Christians? Scattered, spread about, our king, our kingdom, often might feel far away. We're living far from home. We saw in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. The promises of God that we're awaiting a saviour from there, they often seem very distant. The world, we're in a world that is by far, by, 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 uh, by and large, is, opposes us and increasingly hostile to us. We are, as it were, we could say, in Babylon. And so, how can we stay faithful? How can we be faithful in Babylon too? And chapter 1 starts to answer that question. I also want to say that if you're not a Christian here this morning or you're watching at home, well, again, these aren't just made-up stories from a long time ago. If you're thinking about, well, what does it mean to follow God? Well, then we want to know what God is like that we're going to follow. And this book is going to reveal great things to us about him. 
Well, what does faithfulness far from home look like? Uh, Today you'll see in your handouts we're going to cover it in these two points. Don't withdraw, don't be drawn in. Daniel 1 is is famous for the stand that Daniel and his friends take. In verse 8, we find it there. It's famous that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And and that is indeed a, a kind of major point of this chapter and we're going to be covering that under uh, the second point there but first off I want us to see actually being faithful to God means that don't withdraw you see the temptation for God's people back then and the temptation for God's people today is to to withdraw to kind of hunker down ride it out but that's not what faithfulness looks like an awful lot had happened to Daniel and his friends. Okay, it was a good plan, and it was a, the plan that was what you did back in the day. If you kind of beat a nation, you would um, you'd get the brightest and the best and bring them on and kind of assimilate them into your culture um, to, to kind of um, help ru- ruling that nation easier. And a lot had happened to Daniel. If you kind of just cast your eyes down, in verse 1 and 2, they were relocated. First of all, they moved from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 3 and 4, they were re-educated. They had this, um, kind of as it were, went to university, had this three-year education experience, learning the language and the culture, the writings. Verse 5, they were um, re-cultured. They were given this portion of food and drink. In verse 6 and 7, they were renamed. But it's interesting, before Daniel says no, which he does do and we'll get to later, Daniel says yes to a lot. He says yes to a new language. He says yes to an education. He says yes to a job. He says yes to new names. Now that would have been really hard for him, for an Israelite from a privileged and and probably well-taught background to come and to accept and, and settle there. In particular, the names, the names, um, had, they had such wonderful names. Okay, Daniel and his friends, it was, God is my judge. The Lord has been gracious. Who is like God? The Lord is my helper. And then they were given the, these pagan names, which I'm told were kind of linked to some of the false gods of Babylon. But Daniel and his friends actually said yes to a lot. Where the things didn't contradict God's words... He went along with them. Daniel and his friends, they didn't withdraw. They actually played a very active part in life in Babylon. Were they right to do so? Am I right to kind of draw this out as a point? Well, I think I am, because as we've said before, the key phrase in verse 2 that we saw is the Lord gave. This is our key phrase for this chapter. It comes three times, and the third time, come, come down now and look at verse 17. So this is kind of looking to the end of their their education here. As for these four youths, God gave, there we find that phrase again, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Very useful, as we'll see as the book goes on. At the end of the, the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them there was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which he inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. 
and God gave. You see, God affirms, as it were, their decision to go along with all that Nebuchadnezzar was going on. He endorsed it and he gave them learning and skill. He gives them not only what they're going to need to survive in Babylon, but to thrive in Babylon. And indeed, through the book, we're going to see them, well, started there, but to rise to prominence within that nation. But one more thing, I think, shows that they were right. You see, while in exile, God sent the prophet Jeremiah to uh, speak to the people, to really change the way they were thinking about their time in exile. And, And this is something of what he said here. This is um, Jeremiah chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from, Bab- from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. They may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Basically what God is saying is, look, settle there. Don't fight it. You're going to be there for a while. Settle there. Make families and all the rest. He gave, remember God gave them into this situation. But he goes further. This is verse 7. But, uh, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. That word welfare is an important one. It's, it's kind of the word uh, peace. Ultimately what God is saying here is look, settle there, be there, work for the goods of the nation. What is its ultimate good? It's that they would find welfare, they would find peace with God's. You see, to be in Babylon was actually to be at the centre of God's mission in the world. And in order to play their part in that mission, they had to settle there and not withdraw. And so Daniel and his friends didn't withdraw. And likewise, we too today should not withdraw from the world in which we're living if we're Christians. It is a temptation you know, it's a, it's a hunker down to, to group together, to stick to ourselves. Let's kind of form our little huddle and then wait for Jesus to come back. Let me just offer some signs maybe in your life that you might be withdrawing a little bit. So I'm not saying you are, but just, just things to think about. As we encourage you to, to invite people to events for a passion for life, well, if your first reaction is, who could I invite? I don't Maybe that's a sign that you're withdrawing a little bit. No one knows that you're a Christian at work. It could be a sign that you're withdrawing. Don't know your neighbours at all. You might live there for 15 years and never got beyond nodding terms. Might be a sign that you're withdrawing a little bit. The only thing you do outside of work is come to church and church things. Good things to come to. (laughs) But might be a sign that you're withdrawing a little bit. And as a church, to, together, you know, as if newcomers come in, the, the, the temptation, the danger is that we become almost suspicious and a little bit wary. But are we welcoming, warmly inviting any and all to come in? Don't withdraw. Don't form our little huddle. 
You see, part of being faithful far from home is to not withdraw, to play a full part in life so that we can seek the peace, seek the welfare of the city in which we live. You see, when a church withdraws, it turns inwards and it isolates, well, it loses its sight of its mission to reach out. And God gave these four what they needed. And as God gave it to them, he will give it to us as well. Now, I'm not saying that that necessarily means we're all going right, to get promotions tomorrow. You're going to walk into the office. And we're all going to be promoted and elevated. Not, not saying that. But he will give what is necessary to serve him faithfully. We find the promise that you're giving boldness to step out. Of giving the right words to speak as we seek to share uh, of Jesus with the people around us. We'll find peace and grace when we get it wrong. If you're feeling that temptation to withdraw a little bit, look to God. See our sovereign God, the one who gives what is needed for his people to be faithful in Babylon. That's the first one. Don't withdraw. Secondly, what does it mean to be faithful to God? It was, well, don't be drawn in. And here we do come to verse 8. Let me read it again. But Daniel resolved, love that word, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Having said yes to so much, having not withdrawn, Daniel does draw a line. He resolved that he was not going to eat his portion of this allotted food. Now, we don't know why. It may be because eating that food would to break the Old Testament food laws. Maybe it was because that food had been offered to idols. Maybe it's because in those days, and I think this is probably where I lean, to, to share someone's food in those days was a sign of fellowship. And as one of God's people, he wasn't going to fully be assimilated. He wasn't going to become one of them. Don't know. It could have been one of them. could have been a combination of the three. But whatever it was, Daniel knew to eat that food and to drink that wine, he was going to defile himself. He was going to be unfaithful to God's. And so he resolved not to cross that line. Now that was a risky thing to do. Right, his new boss, King Nebuchadnezzar, was an interesting man, and it, we'll see some, some really fascinating things over in the next few chapters. But he was not a kind, understanding, compromising sort of bloke. He killed people who disobeyed him. Have a look down at verse 10. So when Daniel asked to do this, well, what's the response? And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in a worse condition than you of your age? So you would endanger my head with the king. It's a big thing for Daniel to draw the line here. But he refuses to be drawn in. He refuses to be no different from the Babylonians. And this tells us that it is possible to be at home in Babylon while not becoming a Babylonian. In the world, it's possible to, as it were today, to be in the world without becoming indistinguishable from it. Daniel was far away from home. He was facing huge pressure to conform to the world in which he was living, to forget who he truly was, to forget that he was one of God's people. And instead to live as a Babylonian. 
And this again is the pressure that God's people find themselves in today. The world around us wants us to, as it were, forget who we truly are and conform to its thinking and its way of living. You know, kind of thing is, you know, there's a kind of moulds, jelly moulds, and whatever, kind of being pushed into kind of become in that image, in that form. Well, that, that's kind of like the pressure that Christians face today, that pressure to, to conform to the world in which we live. It says, the world says to us, join us, join us. Be the same as us. And if you don't, well, we're going to give you a hard time. It says, look, if you're going to insist on being a Christian, well, then at least keep it private. Just make sure that you kind of fit in and do everything everyone else does as well. It is really hard to stay faithful to, to God in this environment. And sometimes, I want to say, it's not always easy to know where to draw the line. Sometimes it is very easy to draw a line where, where the Bible speaks something very clearly, where it is very clear-cut. You know, your boss tells you to kind of fudge the numbers on the accounts. Well, it's very clear-cut. That's a line to be drawn. The Bible says that sex is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman. That's very clear-cut. That's where the line should be drawn. Sometimes that you, when, when you're feeling that pressure to, to do something, you, you, just, you know from the Bible that it would be wrong to do so. It's clear-cut. Sometimes it's, it's less clear, right? When it's, not, when it's working out how to apply the Bible to a given situation. How many drinks is too much? One or two or none or four? Or different for different people. Where should you draw that line? Like, should I spend the money on getting the extension to my house? not clear cuts it's hard to know kind of what is just trying to fit in with my neighbours and what is a good use of my house for hospitality and all these things but wherever that line may be drawn sometimes there will, there will be times when it is necessary for us as Christians to draw a line and to say I'm not going to do this that is hard how can we do that how can we avoid being drawn in well, once again we come to our little phrase God gave. Have a look at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And so later when Dan proposes a test, it gets accepted. So see verse 12, Daniel says, look, test your servants. So so the the servant said, whoa, hang on a sec, I don't want to get in trouble. Well, so Daniel proposes a little test. Look, um, Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So because God has given him favour, that um, test is accepted. And because of God's given favour, they pass that test. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and, were, uh, and uh, the, dry, the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Word on that test. That is God at work. 10-day tests to bring this transformation around when they are eating food that is not going to be making them uh, look better. May and I were talking about the Sunday school letter. And because all the parents, you know, you eat your spinach, will make you strong. Eat your sweet corn, it'll make you strong. And so when May asked this question a while back, would eating your vegetables make you look better? They all said, yeah! 
yes. And he's like, oh, no, I've undone all the parents' hard work. Uh, but the, it's God's doing that they pass this test. God gave them favor. It's God's sovereign hands that enabled Daniel and his friends to not be drawn in. And so too today, that when we strive to live faithfully for Jesus, to live faithful lives, God gives what is necessary for us to do so. He strengthens us to do it. Daniel 1 shows us that we are not left on our own in Babylon, but that God's sovereign hand is here with us, and he is still working. How can we be faithful to God? Well, it's with God's help. He can give us the power that we need to live for him. Can you, in your Bibles, just come with me to John 17 for a moment. It's on page 1089. Jesus here is praying for his disciples. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he's praying for his disciples. And he says for them in verse 11, John 17, verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, and that they may be one, even as we are one. While, verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, and there's Judas, by the scripture, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then skip down to verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Hear Jesus. For his disciples said, look, don't take them out, but Father, would you keep them, protect them, deliver them from the evil one we were thinking of last week. And so Jesus, for his people today, cares for us here, and it's not that we should withdraw, we should be taken out, but we still have Jesus interceding for us, that we would have everything, the protection that we need for living faithfully for him. Now, of course, we do fail so often. Those lines that should be drawn, we don't. But as we're thinking of God giving, the most famous Bible verse in the world, for God so loved the world that he gave, something else he gave, he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God has given what we need for when we fail. He has given us his son. And in a sense, he, he followed that pattern from, uh, of Daniel. God giving, gave his son. Jesus left the presence of God to come to a world that was hostile, to come to a world that put pressure on him and forced him and reject him. And ultimately that he went to the cross. But he, sorry, he didn't give in. He didn't defile himself. He was faithful to God's that he would take that defilement of all God's people upon himself as he died on a cross. And indeed, he has then been elevated to his rightful place. You see, God has given what we need for our failures when we fail to, to stick to the lines that we've drawn or to, to not draw lines where they should have been done. And he gives what we need to be faithful to him.
How can we be faithful in Babylon? How can we be faithful far from home? Well, we've started to see the answer today. That is the message of the whole book. But the starting point is, look, don't withdraw. We are here for a reason. We are exiles for a reason. God has made it like this. And he's given us a mission to do. But equally, don't be drawn. There are times when we need to say no and be separate and distinct from the world. But he'll give us everything that we need in order to do that. Don't withdraw. Don't be drawn in. How? Well, we have a sovereign God who guides his people in Babylon, who gives strength, gives us what we need, and strengthens us to stand firm. Let's pray. Our God, we uh, do look to you for indeed everything that we need for living for you in this world. Father, we want to play the part that we've been given. We want to reach out with the wonderful good news of Jesus to the world we're in. And so strengthen us to, to not withdraw, but pray that we would be always outward looking, both individually and in churches. And Father, please, would you help us to please you in our daily lives? And where that means saying no to the way things happen in this world, please strengthen us to do so. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.